Welcome to That Smart Hustle, a podcast for women who are ready to step out of society's expectations, discover their sole purpose, and work their light. I'm your host, Kristen Martin, a full-time author and creative entrepreneur. My mission is to impact as many women as possible to go after the very things that set their souls on fire. If you're ready to stop playing small in a world that is desperate for you to play big, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to That Smart Hustle podcast and welcome to episode 85. Today we have a very special guest, the second one ever on this podcast, actually, and her name is Kathy Heller. For those who don't know Kathy, she's the host of the popular podcast called Don't Keep Your Day Job, which has over 8 million downloads and was given the number one spot on iTunes recommended list of shows for the new year in 2018 and 2019. Not to mention her podcast has also been featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur Magazine, HuffPost, The New York Times, and Inc. Magazine. Pretty dang impressive, right? Kathy started out as a singer-songwriter and, after making a multi-six-figure living with her music, started a music agency, and then began teaching other artists how to grow their own creative careers. She also has a book coming out from Macmillan, aptly titled Don't Keep Your Day Job, so make sure you keep an eye out for that when it releases this November. I am beyond thrilled to bring you this interview because it is packed with knowledge and wisdom like you wouldn't believe. And so, without further ado, I give you Kathy Heller. Hi, Kathy. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, of course. Thank you for having me and making the time. Oh, absolutely. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what got you started in podcasting and creative entrepreneurship? Yes. Um, so I'm a mom. I have three little kids, um, three, six, and seven. Um and I always felt most at home when I was being creative as a kid. I always wanted to be making a collage or writing a song or making up a play outside. But I thought that that wasn't what you got to grow up to be. I thought that growing up meant being realistic and practical and pushing all that stuff aside. And I noticed how unhappy my parents were. And eventually my parents got divorced, but they both struggled with their own sense of fulfillment and all of that. And after my parents broke up, I remember just asking these questions like, why are we here? And what's the point? And do you grow up to just be an unhappy adult? Is that what life's about? And I decided like, you know what? I wasn't going to take this like path that most people took. I was going to figure out a way to be creative because otherwise I just felt like I was suffocating. And I moved out to LA with the intention of getting a record deal. And I wound up getting a record deal, which was really not easy. And I was at Interscope and I was there one night and Lady Gaga was recording paparazzi. And I'm like, I'm here. Oh my gosh. Everybody was wrong. The dreams do come true. And then three months later, I got dropped from the label and I was like, oh, I guess this is that point where they tell you, Mm-mm, it doesn't happen and you have to get a day job and go be part of the real world. And so I got a bunch of different day jobs and I was just like, no, I can't. I really can't. And after two years of trying everything from commercial real estate to working in a nonprofit to working in a casting office to doing interior design, I tried anything I could think of to do. And I was like, I'm so not happy. I just felt like I wasn't being myself. 
And so I thought there's got to be another way to do music. And I, I wound up getting back into music and I wound up licensing my music to TV shows and movies and ads. And I started to make a living doing it. And then I did that for 10 years. I wrote music for ads like Walmart and Target and Coca-Cola and Kellogg's and movies and theme songs of television shows. It was so fun. And (laughs) it was cool. And then after a while, I was like, you know what? I feel like I want to help other people live their dream, you know, figure out a way. Because I think a lot of people think it's either like Beyonce or nothing. And I think it's the same thing across all lines. It's sort of like, oh, well, I'm an okay baker, but I'm not going to be Martha Stewart. So why would I even try? Or, you know, whatever the thing is. And and so I was starting to to do really well as a songwriter and it wasn't anything I had ever thought of as a model, like being able to make a really good living. I was making like a few hundred grand a year writing music for movies and shows. And that was just something I sort of found along the way. And so I thought, what if I could help all creative people find a home for their work? And I started a podcast called Don't Keep Your Day Job. And I started it sitting on the floor of my old house. And that was two and a half years ago. And now we have almost 9 million downloads. And it has really spoken to people's hearts. And I feel so grateful that we have helped so many people I never would have met. And they've started their cheesecake shops and they've started writing their screenplays and they've started doing all their things. And it makes me feel so filled up. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Over nine or almost nine million downloads. Can you believe that? That is such an accomplishment. Thank Holy you. cow. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, there are people who have 70 million downloads, but probably their shows have been on for like seven years, you know? Um, and for two and a half years, that is that is so impressive. Thank you. It really Thanks. is. <laughs> thank you. I love that. So you said that you started out as a singer-songwriter. Um, and then I was reading your bio and I found out that you turned multiple six figure music agency owner. So can you maybe walk us through what a typical day looked like for you in the past when you were, you know, doing the music thing compared yeah. to what your life looks like right now? Yeah. I mean, especially since your show is all about that smart hustle, I'll tell you that no one gives you the roadmap, right? Especially in a creative field. Like if you graduate with your CPA, maybe you'll apply for a job at a accounting firm. But when you're a creative and you're a freelancer, you're like, where do I begin? What do I do? So for me, I didn't know either. And so what I learned over the years is that the best way to start to know the answer is just to start to do a lot of things. And eventually you you gain clarity, but only through taking action. And so At first, I was like sending songs to people and I would try to look up the email addresses of people who worked at Paramount or NBC and they would say either nothing or they would say, oh, this song doesn't really work for what we're doing. And I thought, oh, right. I need to be intentional. I need to ask myself, what problem am I solving? And who should I then send this song to? And so I started to reverse engineer like being creative with something in mind other than just like creating something for me. And I think that's a huge part of being successful in business is knowing who you're making it for and what they need. And so I started doing that and that started to help me really tell stories that were not just my stories, but write songs that really told the stories that other people were telling, which made it 
valuable for somebody else to use in their movie or show or ad. And then I started thinking, well, I need to break through the noise and I need to make a lot of relationships with the people choosing these songs. And so instead of just like sitting there and being frustrated, I decided, well, what are all the different things I could try to get through? And so I remember one day I was just being super like messy and scrappy. And I made this like cute little PDF and I wrote at the top, Mocha's in Music, And I put a picture of a little girl, cartoon girl, like with a guitar and then a plus sign and then a picture of a Starbucks Frappuccino. And I said, step one, what's your favorite Starbucks drink? Step two, tell me when to drop it off. Step three, I'll bring you some music and some mochas. And oh my gosh, I love that. (laughs) It was so just like the most random, like imperfect idea. And I wound up sending that email with that little PDF to like maybe 70 or so people and a bunch of people didn't respond and a bunch of people said, no, thanks. And then there was about 27 people. I'll never forget the amount. 27 people who said, sure. And I said, great. And do you have an assistant? And does, does he or she want something like a pumpkin spice latte? And I figured what, what's, what do I have to lose? You know, it'll cost me 30 bucks, right? I'll go in, bring a few drinks. I'll leave. And I was actually pregnant with my first daughter. So this was nine years ago. And I went in, there was no way to even possibly try to be cool because I was pregnant, you know? And I just was (laughs) like this girl with like maternity clothes on. Like I was just totally myself. And I didn't try to stay long. I just left the coffee and people were like, hey, you can stick around for a little bit. And sometimes I stayed for five minutes. Sometimes I stayed for 40 minutes. It just depended on, you know, what they sort of wanted. And I made friends with each of those people, genuinely made friends. And a year later, there was an article in Billboard magazine with a full picture of me and a full page story. And it talked about how 27 people used my songs over the last year. And the article, yeah. And the article was called like writing her own check. And like, it was in Billboard magazine. It was amazing. And I then learned from that how to build an agency And I learned from that really any business endeavor. I learned so much about what you actually need to do to build a career. And it's so much easier than we think, except the steps are the kinds of steps that feel scary. And people are disproportionately rewarded for certain kinds of action. And when you're doing that kind of outreach, where you're making it count, where you are making a person-to-person connection and you're not being businessy and you're not sending these like boring emails, but you're being personable and you're getting through to the heart of like, this is another person. They have a long day ahead. They have a dog that has to go to the vet. It's not their job to write me back. What can I do for them? Like, how can I stand out? Even though I'm putting myself out there and it feels really vulnerable, it it's like magic. And I just continued to do that. And then I thought, wait, I have all these relationships. Why don't I help other artists to do this? And so I started to sign other artists. But then I realized that so many of the artists did not have the kinds of songs that I could actually get them a placement for because they were just writing songs without thinking about what are the stories being told? The stories that are being told on TV are stories about being there for someone and overcoming something and seeing something for the first time. And the stories that most people write is just about heartbreak and breakups. And so I realized, oh, they have to get that first piece that I got, which is you have to know that you're serving someone else. And that's when I actually started an online course for songwriters 
And that class made a million dollars. And oh when I say a million dollars, I mean, it make, now it makes two million, but a year. And I couldn't believe, I, I've never done an online course. I didn't know what I was doing. I did it out of necessity. Like, these are the songwriters in my life. This is what they need to understand before I can even help them. This is where they have to be in terms of their mindset, in terms of their work ethic, in terms of their creative approach. And I put it out there online and a few hundred people signed up and the class was like 200 bucks a month or like $2,000 for the year. And I was like, oh my God. And so I would open the class like twice a year and you could just do the math. It just like, and from that class, I had so many artists saying, Kathy, what you're teaching people, how to fish for themselves, how to believe in themselves, how to stay in the game. You have to start a podcast. And I was like, okay. And so that, that was a little bit of the journey of what my day-to-day was business-wise that led me to actually having a successful career. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. It really sounds like you were, you were consistent and you were persistent. And also you were intentional with, with your time and with what you were doing. Like you were saying that you wanted to be of service and you figured out kind of like who your target audience was or who your ideal client was. And then I didn't even know that you had an online, um, like music course like that, which is really, really neat. Yeah. And then, you know, that turns into something that just like skyrocketed in such a crazy way, you know? Yeah, it really did. And now because of my podcast, I do other things where I coach entrepreneurs and help them find and really crystallize their idea. Cause there's a lot of people who are, who are not even clear yet what their idea is. So I do some of that, but you're absolutely right. It's about being, it's about having that tenacity where you just keep getting back on the bike. And the truth is every single person listening has Michael Jordan superpowers in something, but we don't stay in the game long enough to find it. We give up way too soon. We're, we're so hard on ourselves. And so it is about like, my husband says, you have the will of a small country. He's like, you will just keep going. You're like, just so persistent. And I mean, it's true. I am like that. When you think of like water and rock, you're like, oh, rocks are so much stronger, but like the water is so persistent. So it actually over time, it's more, it's, it's, it's the thing that's stronger than the rock, right? It's what created the Grand Canyon. It's just the persistence, like nonsense. Right. It erodes and it it shapes, it shapes shapes everything around it. Yeah. The persistence. Yeah. And then also I think what's at the heart of it is really truly having empathy because business is all personal Mm -hmm. and it's all relationships. And the first person you have to have empathy for is yourself. Because the number one reason people don't do stuff is because they are so hard on themselves. They don't even want to try. They don't even want to press publish on the blog or the podcast or put their screenplay out in the world because they can't bear the fact that it's not so perfect. So you have to have empathy for yourself. You have to have the courage to put your hand up and lead, even though you are completely imperfect. And then you have to know that the difference between a hobby and a business is a business means you're serving someone else because that's what happens in business is you get paid and being paid means somebody else just let you know, I value what you're doing because I, I need that thing. So if it's not about empathy for other people, then it really should probably just be a hobby. And I think a lot of people get stuck there. 
They're so worried. So good. Right? I think that's so good. (laughs) Thanks. Oh my gosh. That is, I could not agree more with you. And I say this all the time. I really believe that vulnerability is our superpower because Mm -hmm. I find when I'm, you know, scrolling through social media or even listening to some other podcasts, I get so like, of course I want to be inspired and motivated, but it's hard to hear about people who are just like pretending that they kind of have everything together and that everything is like sunshine and daisies and, you know, rainbows in their world. And I find that the stories and the the women and the people and the businesses that I connect with most are those who share, who share those vulnerable parts of themselves and of their journey, um, you know, in an inspirational way, of course, but to just let people know that, fear of rejection is always going to be there. And fear of failure is always going to be there. Like those fears aren't something that go away. You just, you fall down once, but you get back up twice, if you know what I'm saying. So it's kind of like- I totally do. Yeah. Yeah. I totally do. And there's, there's a reason why people don't do this. I mean, every single person who's listening to your show right now has been through so much. Mm -hmm. And- what happens is we don't want to hurt. We don't want to be in pain. And so what we do is we tell ourselves, I don't, I don't want to go through that again. And so, you know, everybody who's listening, by the time you were like six or seven or nine, you got your heart crushed. You know, either you reached your hands out and somebody didn't love you back, or you lost somebody, or you were rejected in some other way. And it stays with you. It really, really makes an imprint. And so what we tell ourselves then is I'm going to be smart. I'll tell her, I'll tell myself I don't want this thing or I'll keep myself safe. And I will only put things out in the world unless I know beforehand where it's going to lead because I don't want to make a fool of myself and I don't want to hurt the way that I did then. But the thing is, there is no way around doing the thing messy because we don't even know, like when someone tells me that they have a five-year plan or that they know the 15 steps, I know that they're thinking small because the world is going to lead you to how you really get to serve. And it's probably so much bigger than what you can see right now. And you can only do that by like starting down the path the road less traveled where there's like thorns and no one's gone down there yet. So it's going to be like a thicket of like difficult stuff. And yet (laughs) there's like magical clues left along the way. Right. And then it's like a scavenger hunt and you just keep getting led to where you're supposed to be. Oh, I love that so much. And it's so true because I mean, when I was first starting out um, as an author and then also as a coach for creatives and a podcaster and a YouTuber. I honestly, like I had a whole plan for myself and this is, you know, four years ago, (laughs) I had a whole plan and I can tell you right now, four years later, it looks completely different than the plan that I had back then. Mm -hmm. It's just one of those things where, like you said, you keep taking one small step forward at a time. And then that step is going to lead you to the next one and the next one and the next one. And pretty soon, you know, time will have passed and you'll be like, wow, I'm here. I did it. (laughs) Yeah. That's it. It's kind of like that game you play as a kid, like hot and cold. You know, you're like trying to find Uh something in the room and you're like warmer, warmer, no colder. Part of the the problem is that when people 
get rejected or they do press publish on the blog and no one likes it or they make these cupcakes and nobody nobody wants them. They're like, oh, forget it. But the rejection, as my friend Amber Ray says so well, it's redirection. And what successful people do is they lean into that. They know they're going to fail. They know that they're not going to hit it out the gate. They're looking for clues about what what's the next thing that they're supposed to do, right? So it's, yes. so most people don't get that though. Like you just said, it's so easy to make up a story like, oh, this person just like walked right into this success, but no one does that. No one is born Mozart. Like people have to develop into that. In fact, I heard Andy Warhol talking about how for, for, for years, he would burn his paintings. Like thousands of Andy Warhols went in the trash and his assistant one day was like trying to take it out of the trash. And he said, please don't do that. And she said, why? And he said, because I'm giving myself the grace to become a master of this without needing it to be right now. I'm making the thing for its own sake. I'm not making it for this moment because I want to keep developing until I have the famous Andy Warhol, Marilyn Monroe and the Campbell soup cans. And it's okay with me that it's a journey. Like there's a reverence for mastery that we have lost. So if we don't Mm -hmm. come up with something right away, that's brilliant. We all just, we're out of the game way too soon. I think that comes to, yeah, just with instant gratification. And now, especially with, you know, the internet and social media and Amazon delivering things in one day, it's like, we're so used to getting things right away. So then when we're building a business, a creative business or writing a book or whatever it is, when it doesn't happen in the timeline, we think it's going to, that's where a lot of people will just give up. And I'm like, no, you're giving up before the miracle is about to happen. You're giving up before like, you're being tested right now to see if you really, really want this. And if you do, you're going to make it out on the other side and it's going to be amazing and successful and even better than you could have imagined. (laughs) Yeah. And Seth Godin wrote a book called The Dip, which is all about that and how most people give up way too soon and they go build someone else's dream. And meanwhile, if they would just stay in it through the dip on the other side of that dip, there's so many less people who are still there and that's Mm -hmm. where scarcity lies. And part of the reason you'll be successful is because you stayed in continuing to try to solve this problem and you're still there. And most people are, you know, they give up and then they build the dreams of the people who stay in it through the dip. But yeah, I mean, we need to continue to get our hands messy and give ourselves the empathy and the grace to let go of the shame. I heard Ed Sheeran talking about how with songwriting and, you know, he's such a great songwriter And he was talking about how songwriting to him in the beginning was like going to a cabin and nobody's been there for like four months. You go to your friend's cabin in Vermont, everyone's there for the weekend and you go to make some spaghetti and you turn on the faucet in the kitchen and the water comes out. It's like sludgy brown water and everyone looks like, oh no. And then you say, no, 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 this is how it is. Just give it a minute, right? Like then the water keeps running clearer and clearer and then you're fine and you're good and you make your spaghetti dinner, right? And he yeah. said, that's the thing. He said, like with us, with becoming a great songwriter, he said, I first had to write the brown sludgy water. I had to write all those songs first so that all the good songs could eventually be born. <laughs> and so I think that's what most people don't have the self-love to allow for. If the, if the brown sludgy water comes out, 
they don't stay in it long enough until mm-hmm. all that beautiful work is born. So oh, that's so true. <laughs> yeah, it is. And that's why I always say to people, have the courage to make mediocre things. Please. Yes. Have the courage to make mediocre things and have the courage and give yourself the grace to, to fail. Because that's the thing. I always say this too, like failure isn't really a thing. It's just an opportunity to pivot. Like you mm. said, rejection is just redirection. Yeah. Um, I love failure that. It's an opportunity to pivot. That's all it really is. And so it's not something to be afraid of, but I really think it's something to embrace instead. Yeah. I love that so much. I totally agree. Love it. So I know you have a book coming out from Macmillan this November, mm-hmm. fittingly called Don't Keep Your Day Job. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we have a lot of writers in the audience. So I would love to know what that process of writing that book looked like for you. And if you have any advice for first time writers. Yeah. I mean, oh my gosh, writing a book really brought up all of my imposter syndrome. I wanted to just like close the laptop so many times and just email Macmillan and be like, why did you give me a book deal? I don't know how to do this. It is not a good book. I had so many moments like that. So I just want to let you all know that that is not something that you should beat yourself up for if you feel that way. In fact, I had Martha Beck on my podcast and I remember hearing her say that when she was writing her first book, she would go to the bookstore and look around at the aisles of thousands of books and she would think, why am I writing a book? Like, obviously what I'm going to say has been said. Like, what the heck am I doing? And one thing I'll say is that if, you, if you're going to say something true, it doesn't have to be new. Mm-hmm. Because we are all feeling this thing of, I want to feel seen. Every day when people are scrolling through their phone, they're looking for something that makes them feel less alone. Like, oh, I love that blog because I just related to that or that video. I'm going to share it because that's me. That's so me. So you can never hear those things enough. So it doesn't matter if 15 other people already said it, you, there's still room for you to say it because it's, it's true for you. And I also think that when people are writing, they'll often say that I've heard Seth Godin talk about this. He's like, people say like they get writer's block, but no one says they get talker's block, Right. So true. And he's, and he's so good. He's like, why is that? Right? Because when we write, we allow ourselves to develop what we're saying as we're going when, I mean, sorry, when we're, when we're talking. Yeah. When we're talking, when, when you're writing, it's as if like, it has to be elevated to this thing that already exists. There's no room for you to just write. And so I used to tell myself, I'd open the laptop and I'd say, Oh my God, I have to write 70,000 words. Today, I'm just going to write a horrible version of this chapter, right? Just write it. And I had Stephen Levinson on my show who wrote the Tony Award-winning Broadway show, Dear Evan Hansen, which I love. And he said, writing a good play or writing anything is like you're a detective. Like you write a few bad pages and then you go back the next day and you're like, is anything here worth saving? But that's how you eventually get the good stuff, right? Is just give yourself permission. So that was part of my process. As far as getting the book deal, you know, one thing that I would tell people to do is like, don't wait. My friend, Andy J pizza says that people wait for the fairy art mother to like show up and knock on your door and give you your big break. (laughs) Four years before I had my book deal, I tried to get a book deal. I wrote a book and I sent it to every agent and nobody wanted it. And then 
a few years later, I started a podcast and within two episodes, somebody who heard my podcast, she wrote to me, she's like, I live in New York city. I work in publishing. You have to have a book. And so the idea of like, go ahead and go make something, make your own thing instead of waiting for opportunities is so awesome because if it wasn't for making the podcast, I wouldn't have gotten a book deal. And just to be also really transparent, I got a book deal. I wrote a draft of the book. They hated it. I had to rewrite the whole thing, the whole cotton picking thing. Oh my God. And it was really the best thing because I had grown so much in the time that I first wrote the first draft and the time I first wrote the second draft that I was so grateful that that first book did not hit the stands because there was so much more that I really wanted to say because I then had another year under my belt of the show and I had really gotten clearer about what I was really saying. And so I love that. I would encourage people, you know, if you want to write a book, you want to have a web series, whatever you want, like start Every day, give yourself the accountability that you're going to post something online, a blog post, you're going to post a podcast because you will develop the clarity around what it is that you are speaking into the world. Right. Um, you can't develop the clarity if you don't, if you don't actually start and just yeah. do something. And like you said, have your, have like, allow yourself the grace to have it be imperfect and to start messy. It's okay. We all start there. I look at like my, my first podcast episodes, my first YouTube videos. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, right? what is this? Oh, me too. <laughs> but I love looking back at that. Cause I get to see how far I've come and how much I've grown. A hundred percent. And for me, I also feel like when people are working on writing a book or whatever else it is that you're doing, I feel like people don't necessarily realize that they don't have to do it all themselves, right? Like part of what makes my book great or my podcast great is like, I don't have to be the expert, you know, like yeah. writing a book could be you or on a, like Gretchen Rubin, let's say she wanted to be happier. So she set out on an adventure to find more well-being, and she wrote about her journey did she have to be the happiest person in the world to write a book on happiness? No. no. And in my book, I talk about that because I think there are people as far as like, don't keep your day job, you know, which is what I say, go do the thing you love. Sometimes people love something, but they don't know how they fit into that. Like, you know, people might love writing, but they don't think of themselves as the writer or they might love dance, but they're not themselves the dancer. So in the book, I explore what are the different ways that you can make a career doing the thing you love. And there are four archetypes, which I talk about in the book. Like you could be the maker, right? You could write the song, you could bake the bread, you could make the pottery, that's a maker. Or you could be the teacher. Maybe you teach people how to make pottery. Maybe you teach people how to bake bread. Or you could be a curator. You help other people who have that work. You help bring that work to life. A curator might be someone who opens a shop. A curator might be someone who starts a poetry slam for other people to get up and do the poetry. A curator might be a person who becomes an agent for other musicians. Or a curator might be someone who wants to produce the web series. And then the last one is an investigator, a person who maybe you're not baking the bread, you're not teaching people how to bake bread, you're not gathering people who are bread bakers, but you love the topic of bread baking. And so you start a blog or a vlog or a podcast, or write books, and you just get paid to create conversation around a deep dive of this topic. 
And once people hear that and they read about it in my book, I think they're like, oh my gosh, there is a way for me to do more of this. And so we actually created a quiz um, that will be live very soon on our website, which will help people like figure out which one am I, a maker, curator, teacher, investigator, which I think starts to whet your appetite of maybe there is a way for me to do this. Because like I said in the beginning, I think that some people feel like, well, if I'm not great at making meatballs, I can't open a restaurant, but I do love food. So is there any other way for me to be around this thing I love? Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. That quiz sounds like it's going to be really, (laughs) really good. I think a lot of people, a lot of people could use that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I, I wish I would have had more help in dis, in discovering that, but I, I just did it through trial and error. Yeah. Yeah. So my last question for you, um, as a coach for creative entrepreneurs, if you could give one piece of advice when it comes to pursuing a fulfilling purpose-driven life, what would it be? So the number one thing that we're all seeking, it's not happiness, it's purpose. And that comes from contributing to someone else. And that is something you can do today. So I would say, if you love to write music, if you love to bake, if you love to write poetry, think of three people this week that you can do that thing for and do it because it will make you feel so good And that's the thing you're seeking, that feeling of that transaction of I made this thing and I gave it to this person. That's number one. Number two, by doing that thing and really grounding yourself in in the fact that I'm doing this to serve this person, you'll figure out more of what they want so you can serve them better. It's easier to make someone a dress when you know the color and the fabric she wants and where she's going to wear it, right? So Mm Most people build businesses backwards because they build the business, but they don't build it with the person they're building it for in mind, which is what I keep saying. So by going ahead and just doing the thing for the people, it gives you momentum, it gives you a feeling of purpose, and then it gives you the data of what it is they need. And then you just keep seeing, oh, I made cupcakes for this one person down the street and she loved it. And she just said a friend has that. So a friend wants that. So I'm going to now make another dozen for her friend. And It is incredible how quickly something can become your side hustle and then your full hustle. Like people don't realize that you could have, let's say you're selling um, something that's 50 bucks. I don't know whether you're making like, you know, cheesecake or something. I'm just using 50 bucks as an easy number. If you sold 30 things for 50 bucks, that's $1,500 a week. Mm -hmm. And that's $6,500 a month. There you go. Quit your, quit your day job. Right. So it's <laughs> like, <laughs> think about how you could just get to that. Like, how could you get 30 human beings a week excited about your offer? Is it a yoga class? Is it selling cheesecake and then calling up places that might already have the customer for the cheesecake, like a coffee shop and you can sell it to them wholesale. Cause if you got just a few shops to buy a couple a week, you can quit your job because now you're making $1,500 a week. Right. I just think that people make it so black and white. It's all or nothing. And they're not, everyone who's listening has a great idea, but in order to figure out how to make it sale, we need momentum. And that happens through getting in action. So I would start with make that thing for three people right now. Just go ahead and do that for someone. 
Oh, I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Such, such good advice. And can you let everyone know where they can connect with you and learn more about everything that you offer and social media and all that good stuff? Yes, that's so sweet. Well, we have a lot of incredible bonuses coming up, including there's all these bonuses of Q&A calls with me and coaching sessions if you pre-order the book. So I would highly encourage people to pre-order the book wherever you buy books, whether it's barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. The book is called Don't Keep Your Day Job. If you go to don'tkeepyourdayjob.com slash book, you can find a link to all the places and up there will be all the different bonuses we're offering. Um, And then you can find the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And it's also called Don't Keep Your Day Job. And you can find me on Instagram at kathy.heller. And my name is spelled with a C. And I am crazy, but I do read and respond to every DM. So if you want to reach out to me, you can find me there. I aspire to be more like you. Oh God. No, I don't know if it's a good thing, but I'm a little bit obsessed with my work. (laughs) Well, that is so awesome. I will leave all of that information in the show notes. So for those of you listening, make sure you go connect with Kathy on social media, subscribe to her podcast, and don't forget to support her by reading her book. Don't keep your day job when it comes out in November. And Kathy, I just want to thank you so much for your time today. It was such a pleasure speaking with you and it was a real treat having you on the show. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. It was really a treat to be here. And thank you for all your positive, good energy. Oh, thank you so much. And take care. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you love this episode, please subscribe to make sure you don't miss anything. For more beyond this podcast, including information on my YouTube channel and webinars, visit me at thatsmarthustle.com. And for daily inspiration and writing advice, come hang out with me on Instagram at author Kristen Martin. I'll talk with you all again very soon. Cheers.